Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 126 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. We also have a special, special guest, because this is an extra special episode. An even more special guest than Andrew being in the room with us. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to bury the lead. I'm, I'm in Los Angeles, but I pale in comparison to our guest today. Hello. I feel incredibly honored. Okay, good. Well, welcome to Ella Gale. Ella is our wonderful guest today. Ella is a comedian, writer, stand-up, and most importantly, creator of the new podcast, Candy Claw's Private Eye. Ella, please tell us about your podcast. Um, uh, Thank you, Bailey. Uh, Candy Claw's Private Eye is a uh, narrative podcast about Santa's bastard daughter solving hard-boiled Christmas crimes on the North Pole. Um, it's a comedy, it's a uh, mystery, and it's for anybody who loves the Christmas episodes of sitcoms and Law and & Order. So, I mean, don't we all? Yeah, Law & Order Criminal Intent Christmas specials. Every yeah. year, <laughs> we've gathered around the fire. Yeah, it goes the Claymation Rudolph, and then Vincent D'Onofrio, and then Rose Marshmallows. <laughs> exactly, perfect. That's the trifecta. And just so people don't think that Ella threw us a ton of money to be <laughs> sponsored by the podcast, it's actually part of the To Read List podcast network. Podcast family. Podcast family. Uh, <laughs> what a hard launch on the network I didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you didn't ask Ella if she wanted I, to be part yeah, of the network. Yeah, I would have loved to learn about this Families this don't moment. tell each other everything. <laughs> no, I helped produce it and we recorded a lot of it in the To Read List sound studio. Where we are right now. And also, Julian Beth Durkee, Andrew's wife, wrote a lot of the music in the, basically all the music in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I can so. attest I've heard her lightly singing um, a song about a squid, which you have to find more out about when it comes out. I mean, you've really been punished by the jingle bells, the constant <laughs> jingle bells more than anybody else. I, I mean, feel. punished or just sort of so ready for the holidays now. Mm. Yeah. As a bonus. <laughs> just prepped for Christmas. Threatened exactly. by the holidays for months. <laughs> Okay, great. Um, So Ella is here to talk about Candy Claws, but also because Ella's awesome and we're going to read a book together and play games, which will be fun. Christmas games? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. No, it's not a Christmas <laughs> game. It's all, this is coming out here Thanksgiving. You can make anything a Christmas game if you let add me, like, one word to it. Let me edit the game in the it. background of this episode. And it will... Just add jingle bells. Just shave some nutmeg on it at the end. Um, but before we start, Ella, do you like to read? I do like to read, yeah. What kind of books do you like to read? I have read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy in the past several years. But I'm thinking about getting into literature. <laughs> I read I read a little literature this year, and you know, Ella, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to get more specific than literature if we're gonna believe you. <laughs> I have to say, I read a book about a murderous nanny, but it was literature. Okay. You keep I, saying literature. I think it was called The Nanny, but it, surely it wasn't called The Bad Nanny. That's That doesn't sound like literature. And that's the one with Vin Diesel. Um, that's the pacifier, Toby. Oh, I, I take the, this very seriously. The latecomer. That was okay. the literature I've read in the past year. Nice. Well, first of all, I'd like you to meet my friend Toby, who also loves sci-fi and fantasy and sometimes literature. That's me. Hi, Toby. And I'm sorry. There's nothing worse than someone asking you what you've read in the last year. I, my mind always goes into 
entirely blank. I can't name one book. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yes, all the books. That My I mind read this goes year. similar to Ella, where I'm like, well, I did read Les Misérables two years ago. <laughs> that counts as two years worth of reading. Yeah, thank you. I've seen thank you. the size of that book. Toby read Infinite Jest. Yeah, and he will tell you about it. <laughs> I will if not. If only you had a podcast that forced you to talk about it and remember what book you just recently read. Yeah, that's true. I did. I finished Red Mars and half of Green Mars. Those are pretty long books. I don't know what those books are. I feel like I should know what they are. Oh, Kim Stanley Robinson, KSR. Ooh. Um, he said the most depressing thing I've heard in the past several years, which is that he is an optimist because he writes about a future where humans still exist. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Red Mars is about the colonization of Mars, and it's good. You said there's green Mars. Is there also? There's a blue Mars afterwards. Yeah. Because it's, they're terraforming it. So it gets bluer. I don't know if there's an infra ultraviolet Mars. (laughs) Glow in the dark, invisible. It would be funny to see KSR just like his head banging against the desk. Like, what can I call this next book? (laughs) Um, I accidentally read him when I was trying to read all the women who have won nebulas. And he, uh, he slipped in there with his gender neutral name. So just according to his plan. But do you also have a to read list like we do? Or are you a responsible adult? Oh, I just have tons of books, but I've mostly stopped pretending like I'm going to read many of them. Okay. okay. Ah. Yeah, I have them. I look at them. Sometimes I take one down so that I can put it back up again. Mm-hmm. No, game is right game. All right. So listeners may remember that two weeks ago when the podcast came out, Toby had visited L.A. and forced Bailey to go to Chevalier's, the local bookstore. And mm-hmm. he didn't want to go. Bailey didn't yeah, want to go. No and way. Toby forced her and she ended up buying, I think, 100 books. <laughs> Not to brag, but I went to Chevalier's today and I bought zero books. Ooh. Wow. I know that's really impressive on a books podcast. (laughs) Honestly, that is hugely impressive not to buy one. Yeah. So this time the tables were turned and Bailey forced me to go to Chevalier's. (laughs) Correct. Against my better judgment. But I purchased two books. I purchased Crook Manifesto by uh, Colson Whitehead, the follow-up to The Harlem Shuffle. Nice. Which I read off podcast. Sorry, you'll never get to know my thoughts about this, Pejos. And then I also bought another, I think it's actually a prequel or another story in the universe of uh, Bookshops and Bone Dust, which is the new Travis Baldry book, who wrote Legends mm. and Lattes, which I also read off podcast. And you also don't get to know my thoughts about. Wow. Pretty cruel to our listeners right now, Andrew. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. you might not ever share your review. It might stay mysterious. But the fact that you bought the second in the series makes me think that you maybe like them. I don't know. Maybe it's like in the first Spider-Man movie where... He has the Green Goblin mask who talks to him. I like to like put a book from a series that I don't like facing me to like tempt me into buying more books. He's like, you don't want to read me, Willem Dafoe. So you didn't like it. I'll never tell. Uh. I liked both the books. That's why I bought the other ones in the series. Okay. okay. Yeah. And for those who don't know, it's like set in the world of D&D, but like at a coffee shop. I mean, it's officially for, I'm assuming, legal reasons, not affiliated with Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast. It's called E&E. E&E. Ecromancers and Elixirs. Honestly. A little bit. Um, so they go out of the way to change like a few, I don't know, proprietary name sources. But it is like you're in a D&D campaign and you're just following someone who's opening a coffee shop. Sounds great. Are you doing B&Es in a D&D B&B? You could do a B&E in a D- <laughs> B&B and listen to some D&B if you need a soundtrack. Crash into me. <laughs> Through the coffee display, yes. I love it. I have a little shame, which I didn't buy any books, but I did find a really impressive little free library the other day that had a copy of Piranesi in it. To read this favorite. Have you read it? No. no, I just feel like that's a good little free library. It's really find. good. Yeah. Um, but I, we, I'd obviously already read that one, but there was another one. And obviously I wanted to support the little free library. So I took it. Um, <laughs> it's called The Summer I Turned Pretty by Jenny Han. So 
Looking forward to that. Nice. Toby, do you have any shame? You know, I do have some shame. Bear yourself unto us. It's very unique shame, and it's related to me getting caught talking out of my behind. Uh, an Uh-oh. astute <laughs> Pedro listener oh. <laughs> wrote in to big me up and agree with my evaluation of Pet Cemetery. I was flying high. Uh, Emily Pedro was like, yeah, I agree. You know, it's a great book. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think Gerald's Game is also a good one. And that, Pedro's, you can take that and rewind it back because that's when I started to just talk out of my butt. Because <laughs> I thought that I had read Gerald's Game. I thought it was a short story. And I said, it so confidently. <laughs> so confidently that we all agreed with you. With the confidence of a straight white man. Oh, yeah. Confidence of a 1960s boardroom. Toby rolls in, whiskey <laughs> glass in hand. Exactly. Smoking two cigarettes. Um, yeah, and Emily was kind enough to email once again <laughs> and point out that actually Gerald's Game is not a short story. It's a novel in and of itself. And so, yeah, I've been exposed, Pedro's. And uh, here I lie before you. Uh, naked on the floor. Chained up to the bed. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's part of Gerald's game. Gotcha. I think Gerald's he was game. going for Natalie and Bruglia, but that's fine. <laughs> that's what the song's about. <laughs> did, so did you get a copy of Gerald's game? No, but that, but that, but I do feel ashamed. Oh, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, this is that's what I'm saying. It's a very unique uh, form of shame is I actually felt shamed. Okay, well, we'll send you a copy. No, thanks. I have, I have half shame. Oh, tell us, tell us. Which is when your Kindle book gets automatically returned to the library when you're uh-huh. only half halfway through it. Oh boy. And then you have to put yourself back on the waiting list. Oh, oh no. no. Mm-hmm. I've had that It depends happen. on the book, right? But the waiting list can be a very long time. Yeah. And so then sometimes they email you and they're like, it's available today. And uh, you just never know with the library. That's It's mm-hmm. like back in the day when you had the Netflix queue and they would deliver a DVD and you're like, sure, I want to watch The Seven Samurai. But then all of a sudden it's the day you have to watch Seven Samurai. And are you ready? Maybe not. Maybe not. That's why you just wow. got to make it the truth about cats and dogs 20 times in a row. <laughs> so you're always hitting it on the day you're ready for it. That's right. Okay, well. Let's get into it. Um, speaking yeah, of, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got it, guys. Uh-oh. This is the transition for the ages. Yeah, please observe our flawless transitions. <laughs> Here we go. Speaking of booksellers, Toby, did you read a book this week? That wasn't bad. Thank you. Bailey is dabbing again. Uh, yes, I did. I read Garth uh, Nix's The Left-Handed Booksellers of London. Get a book there, mate. The Thames. Um, So this book uh, was recommended to me by a faithful Pedro. It would be really embarrassing if they don't listen anymore. It would be really funny if they didn't listen anymore. Um, But it was because I think I mentioned how much I enjoyed the Sabriel or Sabriel, I think there's a bit of a controversy, series when I was a kid. Um, If you haven't read Sabriel, you should check it out. It's amazing. It's about this young woman who's like a necromancer and she has like a bandolier of bells. She travels into the under world to find her father and remember that plot line pages i would say sabriel i've always said sabriel but i love those books and uh but i've never read what is it the the left-handed booksellers of london Mm -hmm. so i bet you haven't it came out in 2020 oh okay um here is a little bit of a summary a one a one-line summary that i won't call a log line garth nix's the left-handed booksellers of london follows 18 year old susan arkshaw as her hunt for her father's true identity leads her to discover a magical 
magical world beneath and around the one she knows, patrolled and protected by the mysterious booksellers. Magical world where people use their left hand instead of their right. I was going to say, are they actually (laughs) left-handed? Can you imagine it? Um, Yeah, I'll I'll get into that in just in a second, Bailey. Jeez, calm down. Uh, Anyway, so left-handed booksellers of London is uh, basically just a fun, fun time. Set in an alternate 1980s London. It's stressed like on the book jacket and in other places that it's an alternate London. But I kept like looking out for the thing that was going to be obviously different and (laughs) all the details seemed to line up for me. So Big Ben is a hole instead of a tower. (laughs) Exactly. It's a clock at the bottom of a hole. Large Larry. So yeah, it's an alternate 1980s London. Um, Like lots of fantasy books, there are a lot of rules and I won't go into all of them, but the world that we're looking at here is one where an older, more magical England, one based on kind of folklore and old tales exists kind of around and below, as I said, the modern England. And there is an organization that is dedicated to keeping the two separate. Can you guess? what the organization is? The left-handed booksellers of London. The right-handed no, booksellers. No, it's the even-handed of booksellers of London. Other place. No. Yeah, so it's it's the booksellers. It, I feel like the right-handed booksellers get left out of this title. There are both left-handed booksellers and right-handed booksellers, which is kind of a cool thing. Like the left-handed booksellers are like the action heroes. They do all the fighting and all of the exploring and stuff. And the right-handed booksellers are like the research-heavy crew, and they can do like minor amounts of magic, um, but they are a very storied and very ancient organization, and their job is to keep everyone safe and from all these dangerous creatures that kind of roam. So that is the larger world. Susan Arkshaw is our main protagonist. She moves to London on her 18th birthday. She's looking forward to spending the summer before her first term at university there, and she's got a mission to find her mysterious father, who she's never met. Um, she's on a hunt. She's got some names. It's very Mamma Mia. So their names are Colin Firth, Pierce Brosnan, and mm-hmm. Sarsgaard. Uh, dashingly handsome older men. Uh, immediately, Susan is pulled into this world by the charming, handsome, uh, left-handed bookseller Merlin Saint Jacques. Merlin. What? That's a big. That's a big swing of a name. He's fun. He's charming. He kind of takes uh, Susan by the hand, if you'll forgive me, and uh, pulls her into this dangerous world. And at first, Susan thinks that she doesn't belong there. But soon enough, she realizes that maybe she does belong there. So, orcs and elves. <laughs> um, uh, I'll do elves first. So Garthnix, from what I remember from the previous series, um, has a really particular flavor to his monsters and his action. Um, he's very good at kind of treading the line between eldritch and creepy without being gruesome. So these monsters are legitimately kind of freaky and dark. But, you know, I think if you were thinking about giving this book to like a younger kid, you wouldn't be <laughs> worried that they're like not going to sleep or anything. I'll say another elf. The world of the book, the whole thing with the booksellers and the system that they exist within, the the wider world outside of London, because they get to go outside of London and encounter some like bigger beings. It's all really well done. You know, Sabriel or Sabriel had this feeling of being a really concrete world that you believed in. And I think this uh, series seems to have that as well. This sounds great. <laughs> I'm in. Amazing. Thanks, Ella. I wish I had bought this with Chevaliers today. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, um, this book is just really 
well done candy. Um, Susan and Merlin are immediately likable. They have a pretty low stakes romance that is fun to watch. Um, and the various characters that pop up are colorful and fun. Is there an animal sidekick? There is no animal sidekick. Yeah, that's okay. uh, missing from the classic Nick's formula. Is there an animate book? Is it the plot of the page master? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have transitioned me perfectly into my orcs. And Ella, I'm <laughs> extremely glad that you're here because I was going to say, well, I'm going to make this comment and you'll only know what I'm talking about if you've read Sabriel. But here we go. You ready? See if this plot sounds familiar to you. The book is about an audacious young woman with more power than she realizes she possesses. She's on the track of her mysteriously missing father, mm -hmm. who is a well-respected and even gigantic figure in the magical world that she inhabits. Does that seem familiar to you? It's sounding familiar, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is it sounding familiar because it is exactly I the mean, plot of Sabriel? I mean, this is the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But yeah, so, you know, it was a little bit shocking to me how similar the, at least the setup and the main storyline of these two books were, especially because Sabriel is by far his like best-selling other work. Um, and that was like a little bit of a letdown because I was like, okay, I, I feel like I know the bones of this story already. And I won't say that the same events happen, but it is kind of a, a larger orc is that it's pretty dang predictable. The story kind of unfolds exactly as you would expect it to. And it also is very similar to another classic magic in London story, which is Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere, which if you know that one is also about a magical world that happens to be secret, you know, below the streets of London. So all those things combined, unfortunately to me, it just felt like very familiar to a point of being too familiar, where I was kind of waiting to be surprised or waiting to be like, okay, so what is the thing that makes this stand out? You know, if you're borrowing from a plot that you've already done, and then you're borrowing from, it seems like another very popular work, what are we going to get to that's going to really knock my socks off? And I'm afraid to say it, it never got there. Look, when are we going to get a book that's about the magical world around and below the streets of Jersey City, you know? Let me tell you, those path train tunnels, they hold some secrets. <laughs> See, I could have been into that. Now that I'm saying it, I'm like, okay, yeah. now I want somebody to write that. I heard the joke go sour in your mouth as you were like, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> so I would say that uh, maybe I am not the target audience for this. I actually considered that it might be a little bit more of like a intentionally cozy read where you're not expecting to have totally unexpected things happen. You kind of want this familiarity, this kind of cozy narrative to happen in front of you. So, you know, if that's the intended effect, then I think it's well done, but it's not typically my cup of tea. Um, so unfortunately for all the things I liked about it, I'm going to have to come down on three stars. Sorry, Pedro. That's disappointing, Toby. It's not that much of a bummer. You guys oh, no, really no, ran no, no, that well. not, I don't we know should we just quit the podcast. So the target audience <laughs> is for anyone that hasn't read any of his books before. Ooh. Yeah, I, I did think about that. I was like, if some kid had never read any of those other books, they'd come across this and be like, whoa. Um, okay, well, thank you for that review, Toby. Andrew, do you have any facts on Mr. Garth Nix? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Is that his real name? It is. It's actually Garth Brooks. What? Really? So Garth Nix, born Garth Nix. Um, was born on July 19th, 1963 in Melbourne, Australia. Nix was raised in Canberra. So he grew up his whole life in, in Australia um, and spent some time in Europe a little bit after. He joined the Australian Army Reserve and then ended up taking a uh, BA in professional writing, but before that traveled Europe and the world. I want to read the left-handed booksellers of Melbourne. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's just, it's it's an apple waiting to be plucked. Um <laughs> After he graduated from his writing degree, he worked in a bookshop. 
I know. That's very got the idea. That's right. And then he transitioned from that into working in publishing, uh, relocating to Sydney. Uh, He eventually became a senior editor at HarperCollins and then left to start his own management consulting firm. You may notice that we haven't mentioned writing yet. Wow. While he published work as early as 1988, Nix only became a full-time writer in 2001, which might be a surprise to you considering Sabriel or Sabriel or Sabaro came (laughs) out in 1995. So that was not enough for him to uh, leave his management consulting life. But don't Don't worry, he's gone ham since then. Mm. And he's published many, many books. So many that it was too much for me to count on Wikipedia. That many? Yeah. I I, I top out at around 20 in terms of my counting. Wow. I've seen Andrew count before. He's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Remains to be seen if there is a number higher than 20. So some of his series that he has published include The Old Kingdom, um, which is currently at six novels, which starts with Miss April, The Seventh Tower series, The Keys to the Kingdom, and The Left-Handed Booksellers of London, which just had a sequel out now, like a few weeks ago. So all of those series he classifies as young adult series, in case maybe that factors in a little bit to your review, Toby. Mm-hmm. Um, he has also published an adult series, which is called Sir Hareward and Mr. Fitz. Um, and he has spent his other writing time working on RPGs and written case studies and articles about technology for publications such as PC World and Computer World. Computer World. So you're saying he still has, has a day job. He does not. He, he uh, is very specifically in his, in his bio calls out that he has been a full-time writer since 2001. We all write for Computer World for fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Reviewing the next Lenovo. Fantasy novels are for money, and then... So, uh, Nix now lives in Sydney with his wife, Anna McFarlane, who also works in publishing, um, and they have two sons together. Oh. Uh, The rest of these facts are from an interview with The Nerd Daily. I don't know what The Nerd's name is. (laughs) The Nerd Daily asks, what were your inspirations behind writing this story about... This is a clean podcast, so I can't believe I brought this in here. Bad butt booksellers. Um, Whoa. Nick's answers. I was a bookseller a long time ago. (gasps) (laughs) As he poured a glass of scotch and looked out the window. Um, I was a bookseller a long time ago. It was one of my favorite jobs, and I probably would have continued doing it much longer than I did if the owners of the bookstore I worked with hadn't decided to retire and close the business. I thought he was going to say if the owners of the bookshop hadn't fired me. But do you think after that interview he says, like, I was a bookseller, but I'm not anymore. I'm an author. (laughs) The next next series is going to be about a magical management. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, continuing the quote. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <That was fun. laughs> I worked with some great people there, but there was also a very direct inspiration that occurred when I was on tour for my book Golden Hand in 2016, and I was signing in the Port Terminal Waterstones in Leith, Edinburgh, and noticed that the bookseller helping us was left-handed and commented on it, and he said, we're all left-handed here. <laughs> and I said something about the mysterious left-handed booksellers of Leith, and I should write a story about them. Um... What is your favorite thing about writing fantasy? <laughs> what I like about Who's fantasy. Who's this nerd? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this nerd and how often does he publish? Daily. Uh, daily. <laughs> what I like about fantasy is that I get to draw the boundaries I will work within. This is not the same thing as being able to do absolutely anything with a story because elements need to work together. A hodgepodge of invention very rarely adds up to anything. But writing fantasy, I am not restricted by the boundaries of absolute realism. I just need to make it work within the boundaries I have chosen. I suppose you could say I get to work from a palette that has many more colors, though I still have to be very careful about mixing them. So as not to create something horrible. You seem just writing a hodgepodge of inventors. Wait a minute. Well, that leads into <laughs> this. Did I call it? What kind of research goes behind the creation of the fantasy world? I'm always engaged in passive research. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Yep. 
I read lots of nonfiction, particularly history and biography, and often use information I've gleaned from my reading, but I read for pure interest. That said, quite often I will know some basic fact or snippet of information that I want to employ in a story, but I need to know more, and that's when I'll do some active research to expand upon what I already know. You have reminded me of one of the odd aspects of this book, which is that I don't know. Dylan has probably read like Tom Clancy stuff where wow. it's that kind of like <laughs> <laughs> like military fiction where if anyone pulls out a gun, they don't pull out a gun. They pull out like a nine millimeter Beretta. Like it's yeah, very yeah. specific. It's just a weird mix with the like the magic hijinks <laughs> of this world. Well, he would spend his time in the army. Maybe he has a passion for weapon. Re. Also, don't think I'm going to let that slight against Tom Clancy go. I'll remember that. That wasn't a slight. <laughs> I just I just know the books you read. How dare you? This will mean nothing if you haven't read the book, um, but Nix says that he um, would have been a left-handed bookseller in his late teens, a right-handed one in his 30s and 40s, and is now an even-handed one. And that's what I got. Well, thank you for those lovely facts, Andrew. Amazing facts, Andrew. That was The Left-Handed Booksellers of London by Garth Nix. Three stars. Three stars. Well, should I transition to my own book? Yes, we did read a book this week. <laughs> Ella chose a book off my shelf, off my to-read list, which has the closest parallels to Candy Claws of any other book on my list, which is, yeah, I don't have a lot of similar mystery type books. But it's The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. Game, game, game. Um, my first question, Ella, had you read this book before? Yes, but not since I was a genuine child, probably eight or nine. Because it's for children, right? Like that's like yeah. mostly when people read it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Is it for children? It's so confusing. No, I think I. The, one of the things I wondered when I was reading this is I thought it was good and that it held up, and I wondered if children's books have just gotten like worse. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this book treats children as small mm -hmm. people like the language isn't complex but the characters are well drawn there are adult characters that are interesting mm -hmm. and have their own problems but bailey do you want to give us a log line oh yeah sorry i got distracted i'm just excited to talk to ella the westing game is a book for children um by ellen <laughs> raskin it is one of those classics um that people reference as their favorites when they were kids and it follows 16 people who are called to one room. <laughs> I'm starting again. It follows 16 people who are in competition to inherit the wealth of Samuel W. Westing, who is a magnet. I don't know. He's what. a toilet paper magnet. Toilet paper <laughs> magnet um, who is worth $200 million. And they are all competing to become his heir. And in order to do that, they have to solve a series of puzzles more intricate than the last. Listeners at home who haven't read it, I'll be standing in as a person who did not read the book. I apologize. But I'll ask all the questions that hopefully will come up for you. There's a lot. <laughs> so I will also, as part of my logline, just list some of the people's jobs. So then you know. Um, who were these people, these specially selected tenants? They were mothers and fathers and children, a dressmaker, a secretary, an inventor, a doctor, a judge. And oh, yes, one was a bookie, one was a burglar, one was a bomber, and one was a mistake. Barney Northrup had rented one of the apartments to the wrong person. So what they're referencing there is it, the book starts with this mysterious character, Barney Northrup, offering this brand new fancy apartment to a series of characters. They move in, it's, and then it turns out that those are the people that are being offered the opportunity to become the heirs. And one of them is a mistake. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that person, is that one of our main characters here? Can't, can't reveal. 
I I will say uh, that happens pretty early in that book, that line. And I was very excited about that line. I was like, this is great. It has like a very clue vibe about it where it's like, you are this and you are that. And this is the archetype. And we're all going to see how they bounce off each other. And yeah, I, I don't know. I was led into this book. I was very excited for the beginning. Permission to imagine Barney as Tim Curry in Clue. Permission granted. Granted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree, Toby. And what really got me was saying one was a mistake because then I'm like, well, I'm drawn mm-hmm. in. Like, there's something a little wacky. I'm into also, it. we get like a little winky, winky narrator. Yes. 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 A lot of winky, winky narrator in this. Which makes it all the more fun. Uh, let's start with elves. I, w- I was really into the characters. Like Ella said, I thought they were really well drawn. I was especially entranced by Turtle, who is the main character, yeah, I would say. Yeah, she's our protagonist. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's a, a little girl who, if you try to touch her braid, is that what it is? Then you'll get kicked in the shin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I liked how we kind of got little snippets of everybody's beautifully drawn lives. It's a actually a very diverse book and well-written, mm-hmm. engaging. The concept of it is crazy, what the will is on the, and how the game works. But because the book has so much momentum in like the first it basically starts at 80 and it keeps going there. Mm-hmm. So I like that even with the lawyers talking through the rules and everything, like if you had like a question of like, hey, how does this game work? He, they had a really good like, there's many rules to this game. He has thought about it very well. I really liked the fact that they kind of covered like why so many of these people would play this game. Yeah. And I love puzzles. So I was drawn in by that. Love rules. Love rules. Love I love a test. Toby, what about you? Yeah, I'll just back up what Ella said, where it's like, the, I think the best thing about this book is the the smarmy, like very fun tone that is maintained throughout where it is perfectly readable as an adult and you can enjoy the snark and the kind of asides but you could also imagine being a kid and you can see why this is such a popular thing with kids because kids love it when you respect them and treat (laughs) them like they have a brain in their heads and this book definitely does that it's always a pleasure to read something that's very well constructed for what it is and i'd say this is an excellent children's book Definitely quick read, too. Mm-hmm. Moving on to, you know, a little bit of orcs, a little bit of not so great things. I did really like this book overall, but I didn't like it. I couldn't give it five stars because of a few things. Number one, I'm not a child. And so I was kind of ahead of them on the mystery. <laughs> Bailey, this is, I just knew you were going to say I figured out the child's mystery first. <laughs> I have the opposite problem, which oh, is yeah. I absolutely don't understand what happened. Yeah, I, I have. Well, I have both sides of it. Where there's a central mystery, as you know, no spoilers, but there's a bunch of like mixed up words. Yeah, and I knew what that was in like five minutes. However, as regarding anything else in the book <laughs> at all, I have no clue what happened. Well, okay. keep in mind, Toby is like version of a great puzzle is the red wall puzzle, which is just the main character hey. solving hey. it in front of you. And I don't I don't understand what Westing's goal in setting this challenge for them was. Pretty nope. much at all. Yeah. That's the I thing. Agree. The puzzle itself is easy. The reason for the puzzle and like what the puzzle means is insane. Well okay. I'm like gonna... why these sixteen people still <laughs> yeah. don't know. Yeah. But this this follows a problem. This is a little bit of a segue in my podcast that I have with a lot of mystery novels. Uh-huh. I never know what's going on <laughs> at, at all. Like, like, I'm never like, I understand this plot point. Yep. I'm always like, 
I can't remember who did what. I'm just yep. here for the detective, smooth-talking whoever's in the room with them right now. See, I am always trying to guess the end. And, you know, I'm usually right. <laughs> Speaking of Ella's <laughs> podcast, we were doing a reading and going through the episodes. And in the middle, Ella was like, who does everybody think is the guilty party? And everybody- Yeah, you want one person, a few people to be right, but not everybody, hopefully. And who was the only one that was right? It was Bailey. It was me. Thank you. Wow, Bailey. Wow. She knew. Pretty, this is a pretty self-serving so, story you just teed up there. <laughs> Make sure you listen to Candy Claws to see if you can be Bailey. That's true. Oh. Anyway, I, I just wanted to clarify. I agree with you guys on all of that. What I'm trying to say is there is a lot of time page-wise spent on those mixed up words, and I figured out the words within like two pages. Yeah, but we have, because we have all the words. Whereas they don't. Mm -hmm. So we're ahead of them on the mystery. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so other orcs. So so Bailey was ahead. So Bailey's smarter than all children. So okay. I was ahead. Orc. But at the same time, as you say, like when you get to the end, it's not something you can necessarily predict from the beginning and think like, oh, I should have got this, 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 and this. It's kind of more like a Poirot where there's a lot going on in the end. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not my favorite kind of mystery. I like ones where I can solve it and feel good about solving it. Like Candy Claw's Private Eye. <laughs> it feels like a fever dream Agatha Christie where like in Agatha Christie ones, they, a lot of them is like everyone is guilty, but not everyone did the crime. But so like the big clues that they're trying to figure out, that's like fifth down on the questions that you have looking around here because stuff gets very crazy halfway through this book and you're wondering it's like what why is this happening and they're still solving like word games they're still doing like the new york times crossword puzzle trying to figure that out and it's like we should also figure out if there is a murderer here if like there's bombs being mailed these seem things to be important things we should address i, I think, think it's the puzzles man no no, no. <laughs> i think i wasn't clear too i thought it was going to be a stage of many puzzles but it nope. turns out it was just that one puzzle imagine if it was squid game but they had to do all three games at once. Yeah. It's like that. Also, the beginning is a little bit of a ripoff of Charlie and the Chocolate yes. Factory. Yes, it is. And Rat Race. And the Pacifier. <laughs> uh, I have one more orc and I'm going to throw it to you guys. Although it is a diverse book in terms of like the ethnicities, races of the characters, some of the writing is pretty problematic. And I get it. It's of the time. Particularly the, char the characterization of Mrs. Who. Although for quite a bit of that, we're getting her through the eyes yeah. of a problematic character. Right. So I, I'll give you an example. This is page 132. Dang, Bailey came yeah. with I facts. was going to say. <laughs> I hear what you're we, saying and I have evidence. We all, we all fell into that trap that she laid for us. <laughs> Boom, Madame Hu said happily. She knew where they were going. Always on the day when Doug ate six eggs for breakfast, he ran ar around and around a big track and people clapped and gave him a shiny medal. Doug was so proud of his medals. She would never take them, not even the gold one, not even if it took her two more years to pay to go back to China. No, she would never take Doug's medals and she would never sell that wonderful clock with the mouse who wears gloves and points to the time. I just feel like it's very infantilizing. I feel like she knows what a track meet is. She isn't like, oh, what are we doing today? He's eating eggs and running around a track and getting a shiny medal. Just me. I'd argue, but I don't have the book in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I think I see where you're coming from, Bailey. But I think that you know there are some like lines of dialogue or things here and there. But I, I don't know. In context of the time, I think the author actually took great pains to put really sympathetic. I mean, now that you've 
drag that quote out. <laughs> it sounds terrible that I'm saying this, but I do think that the, the author did take great pains to be very empathetic towards characters uh, in a time when other children's literature would have us like shrieking and like hurling books across the room. So I don't know. I think I give her points for that. But I do see what you're saying, Bailey, at the same time. Yeah, imperfect by 2023 standards. And also, I don't have a page number on it, but her husband is also a really interesting, conflicted character because he plays a Chinese food or Chinese restaurant owner who kind of uses people's stereotype of him kind of for his advantage, too. So, like, I kind of like the fact that he kind of acknowledges, like, yeah, no, it's racist, but also it's what you, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, I think specifically just Mrs. Who and how she was infantilized. Other orcs... Anybody? I mean, we only have like 30 more minutes to talk about it, so I don't know if I can go to all my orcs, but... Dylan finished it and was like, I have opinions. It's one of those things when you hear me in the other room, like, what? <laughs> There's a character in it who's a judge who has seen everything. Mm-hmm. And she's my favorite character because literally half her thing, she just like keeps commenting. And it's like, yeah, no, it makes sense. People are crazy. This just happens. And it's like, after a while, I kind of got to her jaded perspective where it's like, yeah, I guess, sure, <laughs> that we're going to be doing this now with... There's some bombs, heads up. There's a lot of acts of violence throughout the whole book. And it just happens. And then sometimes we'll be reading and then you'll have to double back like, did something blow up? Did somebody die? And she, because it's written so simply and tightly, the momentum just goes like white right past you. And no one really just stops and takes a minute to kind of just acknowledge it. A lot of dark secrets are revealed in one line. And then like, great, next next chapter whereas like I like I like that I know but I never thought I'd miss it in Agatha Christie ones when they'd have like interrogation scenes and then a whole monologue of like this is why I did it and it's like I kind of needed that I do love a mystery monologue I know I was I was (laughs) waiting for one of them where where like and there's a few fake out endings in this and I just wanted one of like Westing's final answer of like can he please just like stop for a minute where like Uh, the lawyer puts a VHS and he flickers onto the screen and it's like it's me Samuel Westing to explain why I've done it you're probably wondering why I brought you all here yes I've been wondering for so long (laughs) so that uh, yeah that was like the huge back and forth I had with this book. Great fun scenes and fun characters, but while you're having fun, you're like, wait, you're getting out so much whiplash throughout the whole thing. All this to say, I definitely recommend this book. I'm glad that I read it. Maybe I'll read it to Maggie and skip over the Madame Ho parts. <laughs> anyway. Um, also, it's, it's another thing that interested me is it's the children have a lot of autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're just like hanging out with adults they don't really know that well and mm-hmm. doing their own thing. And it reminds me like a little bit of my childhood and like very unlike all childhoods today, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. How many will readings were you called into as a child? <laughs> I wish we thought about this earlier, but there has to be like a BuzzFeed of like, which Western game character are you based on your personality? <laughs> oh, that would have been a good game, Andrew. Write it, write it right now. <laughs> You're all turtle. And I mean the one from Entourage, not this one. So yeah, all this to say I liked it. It's not five stars for me, it's four stars. Okay, I would say it is a children's book and I give it, it's a five star children's book for sure. Well, this is a subjective reading experience podcast. Um, so I would say for me right now, this time in my life, it's a, it's a three star book. But I did enjoy parts of it. Wow, Toby, bringing it all down. I know. Like Dylan, one star for you? I was going to say, if I gave it one star or a four, and a four star at the same time, I would. That's but a two s- because I can't, I'll give it a three can't. stars. Okay. okay. Right. Good. I guess, yeah. Um, Ella, I will say it, it's a pattern of mine to read children's books as an adult on this podcast and be like, it's for children. <laughs> the plot's too simple. <laughs> I did immediately almost pick up from the mixed up files of Mrs. Vesely. Oh, I have read that. That's great. 
Andrew, do you have any mysterious facts on Ellen Raskin? Yeah, weirdly, not that much on her. Maybe because her whole life was a mystery. <gasps> Just kidding. There's some stuff. So, Ellen Raskin, not Ellen Barkin, which I typed by mistake several times. <laughs> Ellen Raskin was born on March 13th, 1928 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Raskin grew up during the Great Depression and remained in Wisconsin during her childhood before attending the University of Wisconsin, Madison, go Badgers. She uh, initially intended on studying journalism, um, but after a visit to an exhibition at the Chicago Art Institute, changed her major to fine art. That seems like a lateral move, too, where it's like, Mom, Dad, I'm not going to be a journalist anymore. I'm going to be an artist. Sure, great. Same. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Collins, when you want to go to law school. Um, (laughs) While she published several books, Raskin's main focus was on graphic design. Uh, She moved to New York City and spent more than 15 years working as a commercial artist, and she crafted over 1,000 dust jackets, perhaps most notably the first edition of A Wrinkle in Time. (gasps) Um, she published four children's novels, um, starting with The Mysterious Disappearance of Leon, in parentheses, I mean Noel. I thought it was going to be The Mysterious Disappearance of Leon, parentheses, The Professional. <laughs> you monster. I'm glad you guys laughed. I, I really lost confidence here in my closet. <laughs> she followed that up with Figs and Phantoms in 1974, which was a Newbery Honor book. And then The Tattooed Potato and Other Clues came out in 1975. And her final novel was The Westing Game, which was published in 1978 and won the Newbery Medal. So Ooh. Nice. My book has a fancy medal on it. It won. It Congratulations. It. <laughs> that's the one. That's the copy that won it. Yeah. Yep, that one. Um, Raskin also wrote and illustrated 12 children's books, as well as doing the illustrations for a lot, a lot of other um, authors' books. Uh, Raskin was married twice, first very briefly to graphic designer Roy Kuhlman. Cool, man. And then later to uh, Dennis Flanagan, who was the founding editor of Scientific American Magazine. All my Scientific American heads out there. Computer Monthly. Wow. (laughs) Talk about a daily nerd. Nerd daily. Wow. Okay. Uh, Raskin died on August 8th, 1984, at age 56 in New York. City. Her illness was um, connective tissue disease. Oh, she died only six years after this came out. Yeah. Quite sad. But who did she leave her money to? That will reading must have been. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, she Some did. jokester <laughs> came in there and made it awkward for everybody. The rest of the facts I have here uh, come from daughternumber3.blogspot.com. <laughs> Wow, your sources this episode are top-notch, Andrew. <laughs> okay, well, Gar- okay. Uh, Garth Nix had a lot of different options for different interviews. I just like that one because it was specific to the book. This is almost Man. all I could find <laughs> on Ellen Raskin. No, no, she's a mysterious multimillionaire children's book author that's a recluse. Well, Got wait it. till you hear what these facts are, which are a summary of an audio that was at a uh, university collection of her work. So somebody went in, uh, daughternumber3.blogspot.com, went in, listened to this, and then summarized it. So it's not even direct quotes from, from Raskin. She's doing the Lord's work. Okay, continue. So this is a little bit about um, how Raskin came to being a uh, novelist. In the early 70s, she was asked by editor Anne Durrell of E.P. Dutton to write a long book. When she expressed reticence at the idea of writing a long book, Durrell urged her to write her about her childhood in Milwaukee during the Depression, and that effort became the mysterious disappearance of Leon, I mean Noel. Just like the idea of long book. Can you write write us a literary book? Can you write us a fiction book? (laughs) And this is a quote which the author was keen to say might not be exactly right because it was her remembering it as she wrote it down. (laughs) I have what I have. (laughs) 
Um, quote, <laughs> as far-fetched as that book is, it has much in it that is autobiographical. My daughter and my husband both have said, everything about you is in that book. In fact, my husband said, that's going to be your first and last book, and you have nothing left to write about. What? what? Can't believe cool men said that. <laughs> wait, wait, go, yeah, go back. What, what year did you get divorced again? <laughs> Finally, she began writing The Western Game in 1976 as an idea related to the bicentennial. It was also inspired by the city of Sheboygan, uh, north of Raskin's native Milwaukee. Daughter number three calls out that she's a fan of the ten- of the city of Sheboygan, in case you were wondering. Yeah, everyone loves Sheboygan. I don't think I caught the obvious Sheboygan references. <laughs> Did you guys? It's a nah. it's a palette you have to tune yourself to, like um mm-hmm. like a sommelier. Who did y'all think uh, Westing was based on? Um, Howard Hughes. Dylan is half correct. Howard the Duck. Well, Sheboygan, as you all know, of course, is a factory town dominated by the Kohler Company, aka Kohler sinks, uh, toilets. Ah, uh, toilet paper. Of paper. course. Uh, and in her talk, Raskin says that Sam Westing is intentionally based on Old Man Kohler, who apparently uh, was old a figure in Old Man Kohler. <laughs> as we all know. But then when she was already immersed in writing the book, uh, Howard Hughes passed away and there was a whole brouhaha direct quote, over his will, um, and the story grew from there. Um, Raskin herself designed the cover, and apparently she was actually very exacting about the designs of all of her things, including the text within the book. So, here you go. One of the most interesting parts of the audio is listening to Raskin talk about how she designed the book itself. She was thinking about the design all the time while writing. Quote, I've watched children read, and my books are complicated. They aren't as complicated to children as they are to adults, because children read more slowly, and they aren't ashamed to stop and go back and read something again. I wanted the look of the book to appeal to them. I know that when they take it off the shelf and they have to make a report, I know that they go to the back of the book to see how many pages it is. So I insisted that my books be under 200 pages. Totally, totally. Just kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, she, uh, she also always tried to break up the pages. Um, every spread in the book has at least one excerpted block of copy or a row of bullet lines or chapter heading. Some typographic element to interrupt the continuous body of text. This almost sounds like the scene from American Psycho when he gets really into the details of it. And like, look at the book. It's like, he's right. Look at these chapter breaks. The bullet points. <laughs> it's whalebone. <laughs> As an example of Raskin's exacting nature, she noted that the first 15,000 copies of the first printing of the Weston game had to be shredded because the bindery trimmed a quarter of an inch too narrow. Her standard, the margins must be wide enough for the average child's thumb to fit without covering up any of the text. So you're saying there was no margin for error? <laughs> uh, well, we can I'm end gonna, the podcast. I'm holding this book. I'm going to throw it at you, Dylan. Uh, and finally... I know y'all were worried about this. She wanted the uh, decorations in the text to evoke fireworks, but she'd already used asterisks in um, The Mysterious Disappearance of Leon, I Mean Noel. And so she used black boxes instead. Wow. And that's Ellen Rask. Andrew, those are some really good facts. Thank you to daughter number 3blogspotcom She is the one who <laughs> saved me on this one. <laughs> well, that is The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. Four stars for adults, five stars for children. And five stars <laughs> for binding. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Now, Ella, would you like to, would you like to play a game with us? I would love to play a game. Yay, Andrew! Do you have a game for us? What? Yes, I do have a game. It's called the Westing Game. <laughs> <laughs> you all five tape to your chest. Um, it is called the London Game. Ooh. Ooh. The way this game is going to work is: first of all, I need you to separate into two teams. Dylan, you're playing. Oh, I call Dylan. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll be on Ella's team. I call Ella. I call the one person who can solve the mystery. <laughs> well, that's true. Wait a minute. Dylan's a real, real wild card, though. He's either going to be useless or we're going to win this easy. <laughs> um, so I, again, didn't read the Western game, but I learned that there was a word-based puzzle, and I spent a few minutes every morning playing the Connections game on the New York Times. So I've created a game that is London slash England themed that is sort of an audio version of Connections. Okay. We're going to play it in two teams. There will be three rounds, and there will be an advantage to Ella and Bailey's team because our guest gets to go first and get the advantage. So congratulations. Oi, governor. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. I'm going to read you six words. There are three pairs in each of these six words. You, as a team, Ella and Bailey, will have a chance to go first and pair up two of those words. Okay. Then Dylan and Toby will get to go, and we will repeat until all the pairs have been found in each round. So it's kind of like code names, but not at all. Not at all, but kind of. <laughs> I'm very confused because I don't play connections with the New York Times app. So, okay, sorry. That's a great point. So not everyone knows <laughs> what this game I, is. I think I get it. So the way that it will work is there'll be um, six different words, each of which will have a paired word with it. Some will seem like they can pair it to multiple, but there is only one right answer because otherwise the whole thing falls apart. Otherwise it'd be like you have two pairs, but then one that doesn't one that, fit. Then, yeah. One that's a, a three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Does it make sense enough to try? Yeah, let's yeah. try it. All right. And they're all London slash England themed. All right. Castle, Raven, Downing, Tower, Elephant, Baker. So the words again are Castle, Tower, Raven, Downing, Elephant, and Baker. Of those, do you know of a pair? I do. I do. You, Yeah, you go. It's uh, Downing and Baker. That's the one I was going to say. And streets. Why, streets, in, streets in London. Yes, that is correct. Yay. One point. Do you have a team name? The right-handed podcasters of Libsyn. Of li- right-handed podcasters of Libsyn. Libsyn is a podcast hosting service. <laughs> uh, first of all, Toby and Dylan, do you have a pair? Yes, I know both of the remaining two. But Whoa, we can only okay, guess. Mr. Westing. Um, Elephant and Castle, which is a tube stop. Ooh. That is correct. Elephant Castle is a tube stop. Dylan, did you know that? Yeah. All right, so your contribution <laughs> can be your team name. <laughs> <laughs> Our team name is uh, Candy Claws out November 24th. (laughs) (laughs) Great name. I wish I thought of it. All right. One point out uh, for both teams, um, the right-handed podcasters of Libsyn and Candy Claws out November 24th. 24th. All right. Uh, Do you, Bailey and Ella, know the last pair? You have to because it's been done. But do you remember what they are? Raven and Tower? Raven and Tower. Because the ravens live in the tower. Yep. Of London. Is that right? That's correct. Do you know what they they have tenders who just like spend their days dipping biscuits in blood for the ravens? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of lore. I did not know that specific <laughs> that fact. That is amazing. Wow. Well, that was, I'm glad Do it again. We, okay, we are. <laughs> oh, we are. There, good. There's three rounds oh, here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, good game. Okay. Hopefully this one's a little harder. But we'll see. Do we still get to go first? I hope it's not no, this time, this time Dylan and uh, and Toby get to go first. But uh, there is a third uh, round where you get to go first again. I believe you mean Candy Claws out November twenty fourth. Yeah. Get <laughs> <the> <laughs> first in the next round. Claws by our team name repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Regent, Stamford, Piccadilly, Hyde, Aldwych, Craven. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, I'd like to go Regent and Hyde, please. Wait, wait, wait. He's oh. going to repeat them again. Regent. No. Stamford, <laughs> Aldwych, and Craven, and you've chosen Regent and Hyde for Regent's Park and Hyde Park. Uh, and yes, Toby, why would why would you select those two? And Dylan, really great work. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot that Toby lived in England. Yeah, I've lived in London for a while. <laughs> Unfair. Ella knows a lot about ravens and blood. Does that count? Yeah. yeah. The other remaining words are Stamford, Piccadilly, Aldwych, and Craven. Well, Piccadilly is a circus. I was going to say, is this is a spot? Stamford, Craven. Famous West. West are there, Craven. Is there a second West? On Craven, list? I feel like, is like a Shakespearean insult. Is there anything else that could be a Shakespearean insult? Piccadilly? You, Aldwych, you. <laughs> Stamford, Piccadilly, Aldwych, and Craven. Um, I don't know. Let's go with um, Aldwych and Craven, which are Shakespearean insults, correct? Uh, that is not a pair. Toby, do you have one? I actually don't know. Dylan, do you know uh, these oh, ones? Well, I mean, do you want me to carry you, Toby, on this one? <laughs> yeah. Can you please put us on your back? I have no idea. <laughs> it is a reasonably high chance guess. <laughs> uh, Piccadilly, I'm assuming maybe it's the Piccadilly line, but I'm like, is there another? Is it just train stations like back and forth? I um... love trains. <laughs> He does love trains a lot. Let's just shoot uh, Stanford and Aldwych, please. Are these from real London or made up fantasy London? It's actually the alternate London from the 1980s. If I had known that. Um, At no point have you guys paired anything correctly. You have figured out every combination that is incorrect. (laughs) So it does go back to Ella and Bailey. All right. So So it's not Piccadilly and Stanford and it's not Aldwych and Craven. So it must be Piccadilly and Aldwych. Sure. Yeah, that's what it is. That's correct. Those are West End theaters. Thank you. Ah. And we're going to call that round there. Wait, no, but don't, don't we get a guess that's fair? If we do, th- oh, actually, you're right. Then we get a point, oh, too. Oh, they just get a they free just get point. A point. They, they, have, they point. have to say what the connection Sick. is. Sick. All right. Sweet. That's, I, I have found a flaw in the game. <laughs> yeah. Do you, okay, you will get a half point because this has been running out the, the clock, unless you can tell me what connects Craven and Stamford. Uh, I cannot. They're both stadiums. That is correct. Wait, really? Yep. Nice. <gasps> Good one, Dylan. Craven Cottage and Stamford Bridge are both West London-based soccer stadiums. Good job, oh, Dylan. Way to pull it off, Dylan. All right. Because I uh, didn't think through the game, <laughs> <We're> <laughs> there's one fun. last round, and uh, <laughs> Bailey and Ella should be guaranteed to win if they follow form and just get them right in order. But we'll see. Last <laughs> round. Paul, Neville, Edward, Richard, Winston, Stephen. Paul, Neville, Edward, Richard, Winston, and Stephen. Neville and Winston. And why is that? They're rhyme ministers. Yeah. That is correct. Neville, Chamberlain, and Winston Churchill. One point for the right-handed podcasters of Libsyn. And what was your uh, team name again? We're Candy Claws out November 24th. There you go. Okay. And you have a pair of the remaining Paul, Edward, Richard, and Stephen. What is this? My oh, Tinder? Oh, I know. I know. I know them both. Uh, I think one of them is church, is St. Paul's, and yeah. then... St. Stephen's? Uh, that that's what right I thought it was going to be, that it's a trick. Okay, yeah. Let's say Paul and Stephen. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. But that means but you have four points. Edward and Richard are kings. Of, of what line? The, um, yeah, of what line? Of what line, Plantagenet. That's good enough. Targaryen. Tudors. They're from the Court of Rosenthorns? They're from the Court of Rosenthorns. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, no. So, uh, for the record here. Kings. <laughs> Yes. They were beetles. <laughs> they were they were the weird beetles <laughs> that no one talked to. Oh. Uh, no. Um, Candy Claws out November 24th has four points. Yes. The, <laughs> the right-handed podcasters of Libsyn had four points but got this correct because Edward and Richard, Richard Plantagenet, were both lines in the York line of the throne mm-hmm. of England. But I said Plantagenet. So yeah, so you, right. you get it. So that's five points to four. <sighs> this game was fun. So you're saying that we have beat Candy Claws out 
November 24th. <laughs> we have ground Candy well, Claws out November 24th into a fine paste. Yes, exactly. Also, I was going to say Paul Richard because Richard is Ringo's real name. Yes, but that wouldn't have been a correct pair because it would have unpaired the other ones. Okay, I would have unpaired you. Good job, Dylan. Play Connections on the New York Times. Candy Claws out November 24th. <laughs> Well, that was a fabulous game. I, I, I had fun. Great. <laughs> yeah, that was fun, Andrew. Right. I especially liked the part where we were fated to lose from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, Conceivably, if people got things wrong a lot, it would have come back. What? And there would have been true. some randomness to but it. But Andrew, but Andrew, where Candy Claws no comes out November 24th, we don't get things wrong. <laughs> you did get things wrong quite a bit. All right. Now's the time for the leader of Candy Claws, Private Eye, out November 24th, to come out of his cave and choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It's time for the choosing the choosing the choosing toby you thought that was pretty rough huh i hate this even with the choosing you kind of fell into some hot water now because you have number 13 in the miso soup by ryu murakami oh i'm really excited to read this um ryu murakami uh no relation to haruki he is kind of the same breed of japanese literature um so i'm really excited to read this one i think it's going to be very intense from what i've heard now, Bailey, I see you stewing over there. You don't have to be bitter because uh -oh. you have number 99, Sour Heart by Jenny Zhang. Oh, okay. This is a collection of short stories that I bought like five, six years ago. I remember it specifically because I took a picture of like my Christmas haul of books and I've read all of them except for that one. So I'm excited to read it. Cool. If there's one thing we love on the to read list is reviewing short story collections. Yahoo. <laughs> yep, I haven't sort of sworn it off or anything like that. <laughs> so that means in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading Sour Heart by Jenny Jang, and Andrew is reading Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Oh, yeah. I forgot I was going to do that. Raskolnikov. <laughs> but before we get into credits, I just want to plug... Candy Claws Private Eye, <laughs> <laughs> November 24th. But seriously, by the time this episode comes out, which is on the 30th, the, the first three episodes will be released. Is that right, Ella? Um, episodes one and two are out on uh, November 24th. Episode three is out on December 1st. And there are six episodes and they go all the way up to Christmas. Nice. Yay. Thank you so much, Ella, for coming on the podcast. This is really fun. Yeah, thanks, Ella. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. Yes, and if you find yourself in an alternate 2023, um, you probably still have phones and stuff. You probably can't tell. It's very different from the normal 2023. So check out your phone and uh, rate us five stars on your podcatcher of choice. And uh, if you discover that it's the original 2023 and nothing has changed, then write a review and tell everybody how much you love us because uh, it helps us, you know, with visibility and stuff. And we really appreciate it. And if you are stuck in a room with a bunch of other people competing for a fortune you have no natural right to, take a moment <laughs> and tell each and every one of them or your friends or family about this podcast as word of mouth is the best way for us to find new listeners. Thanks to Toby, Andrew, and Ella for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song, and the songs to Candy Claus, Private Eye, out November 24th. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. 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 <laughs>